Hey, everybody. How are we doing today so far? So far, so good? Right? Okay. That's one of you. Hey, I want to talk for a few minutes in the beginning here about a subject we've been talking about the last couple of times because I just can't seem to shake it. And it's this fact, this concept here about that the Lord's with us. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, got to be one of my favorite psalms, one of my favorite scriptures, I think. And in this verse, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm going through these times, he says, you are with me. That's such an important thing, you know, no matter what it is that we're going through, the presence of the Lord is with us. For those who are His, right? I talked about that especially, in a special way, for those who belong to Him, who, those who are believers, those who, those who have surrendered their lives to Him. He's with you. He is with you. Now, the presence of the Lord, David knew it. Right? And that's who we see here. Paul knew it. We, we see it over and over in the scriptures. Uh, we talked about that specifically last week, that God is with us in all these different kinds of situations people found themselves going through. Jesus said he'd be with us to the very end, right? To the very end, all the way through. No matter what we go through, we go through conflict, we go through family troubles, we go through work troubles, we go through uh, physical troubles. We have things that are before us that we don't know how we're ever possibly going to do that thing, but God says, I'll be with you, it's okay. I'm going to be with you. He's mighty to save. So I got one more scripture I want to look at. Actually, one more look, and I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, if you would, please. That's like in, sort of in the middle of your Bible. If you just open up in the middle, you're probably going to open up right to Isaiah 43. If that happens, let me know. Stand up. I've got a special, a special prize for you. 44? Sorry. You open it right to 43? No, not like this. It's got to be right there. Amazing. See how easy that was? If everything could be that easy. Just open it up and it's right there for you. But does it feel like that way sometimes? Sometimes we feel like, gosh, you know, God's not really with me. How many of you heard of the, the, the footsteps? How many have you actually read it and heard of you? About a quarter of you. And, and uh, you know, when I first became a believer, and I'm going to make some copies of that and give that to you, but... When I first became a believer uh, 40 years ago, it was very popular, and people had read it and heard it. But it speaks about somebody who sees some footsteps in the sand. I'm going to summarize this very quickly. And, you know, there's two, there's two kind of, uh, you know, sets of, of footsteps, uh, footprints in the sand, right? And, uh, 
You know, but then there's, there's certain times where there's only one set of footsteps, footprints. And, and it's kind of, kind of like you're looking back along your life, you know, you're seeing that God was with you. There's two. Jesus was there with me through it all. But then that seems like in these difficult times, God, you're not even there with me. I'm, I'm having to go it alone. Right? And, and the, deal, the deal in this, in this poem, and, and I really like the way it's all put together. Again, I'm just summarizing. But he says, he says at the end that what's happening when you see the one step set of footsteps. It's not that he's left you on your own. It's that he's carrying you during those times, you see. And I think that's true. Sometimes we think, God, he's not even there. He's abandoned us like she prayed this morning. But, but he's there. He's there with us, and he's carrying us. The Bible talks about him carrying us. So let's look at Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 5. He says, But now this is what the Lord says, that he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel... Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You are mine. That's beautiful, isn't it? You are mine. Again, he's speaking to Israel, of course, we know that, but, but for those of us that belong to him, that have given ourselves to him, and, and uh, we, can, we can see that these things will apply to us as well. Verse 2, when you pass through, not if... When you pass through the waters, what does he say? I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jump down to verse 4. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Notice he says in in verse 2, I will be with you. And then now here in verse 5, he says, I am with you. He He will be with us, and he is with us, and he goes ahead of us as he's at the same time with us. I think one of the reasons that I keep wanting to talk about this is to, to try to get our minds wrapped around this and try to get our hearts in tune with the fact that He's with us. He's with you if you are His. He's with you in a special way. He says, I love you. I love you and I will be with you and I am with you. One more example that I want to put up on the screen. Uh, you, you've all heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right? Say that three times really fast. <laughs> but these three guys, right, they, they did some stuff and some people weren't happy about it. And, and, and the long story short, they, they got thrown into a furnace, a fiery furnace. And they kind of got tricked, uh, you know, into being thrown in there. But, but you can read the whole story yourself. But they're in this furnace there. And, and sure enough, it, it would have it wiped out anybody. But this is what happens. Let's read it. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. You see, three of them got thrown in there in the fire, 
three of us, perhaps in this room today, are in a fire, but, but know that the Lord is in there with you. He's in there with me. We read it just now here. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am Yahweh, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's who He is. That's who we're talking about here today. So, I'd like to keep talking about that, but I know we need to move on. So today, what I want to look at today is Paul's uh, last written words. Remember, he is in the dungeon. He knows that his life is going to be over soon. He has, he, he, he basically, you know, he knows that his time is short. This is his last letter. These are the last written words that we have looking at. And so the question I, I, I'm thinking about this, well, when, when you and I, when we come to the end of our days, the end of our lives, I wonder what our last words will be whether they're written or whether they're spoken. What is it that's going to be on our hearts? What are we going to be consumed with? What's going to be important? It's probably going to be, you know, I, I wish I'd washed my car more often, right? Or I wish I had a better car. I wish I impressed people more. I wish that I had more stuff, more money in the bank. Is that what you're going to be thinking about when you get to that point? You know, uh, we often get to spend time people, and I, can, I, I consider it a, a holy privilege, really, to be with people when they come to the end of their days. And they call us, and, and we, again, it's a privilege to be there to spend time with them. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, they are in such a physical state that they can't even respond anymore. They can't talk to anymore. They're... they're they're just, it's difficult physically. But, but many times it's, it's true that when we're able to communicate and we're able to talk, what do, they, what do they want to talk about? What do you think? They want to talk about people. They want to talk about the people in their lives, their family. They want, they want to, to, to talk about those kinds of things, relationships. They're not, they don't care, you know about their accomplishments in this life. Who cares? When you really get to the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is the people. And so we hear, here we see that Paul, he ends with people, and then he ends with the Lord, and finally he ends with grace. Those three things. People, the Lord, and grace. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I should have had you turn there already. But you're fast. I know that. 2 Timothy 4, verse 19 through 22. You probably, like me, uh, you know, have a bulletin stuck in there from another time, and you can just, you've got all these bulletins, and you, know, you're just, you need to get rid of some of those because they wreck your Bible. That's what this guy told me. I had to get my Bible like rebound, you know, like a new cover and everything. He says, don't use it as a filing cabinet. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Verse 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of, of Onis, Onis, Onisiphorus. 
See, I, I know how to say that, but... Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's letter that we have now so many, many hundreds of years later. And yet we can talk and we can study, we can look and we can see, and you, by your Spirit, can speak to us through your Word because it is the God-breathed Word that you gave to us. Let us listen, let us hear in Jesus' name. So he's at the end of his letter, and and frequently, Paul, at the end of letters, and and perhaps it was a, a common way to end letters, you'd talk about greetings, but I think in this particular case, I see this this idea, this impression that things were on his mind. He, you know, he knew, again, that his time was short. And so he talks about these people. He doesn't talk about people at the end of every one of his letters. You can go back and look, not now. But you can go back and look. And some, like Romans, he's got a whole long section of all these people that he knew, that he worked with, that he cared about, that he loved. See, Paul, though he was an incredible, incredible man, spiritual man that God used in incredible ways, and he, he wrote some incredible things. Peter even said, I, some of the stuff I can't even understand, Peter said about Paul's writings. But yet he cared about people. In the end, that's what matters. In the end, it's about you people here. It's not about, you know, whether we can have a website and whether we can have, you know, uh, how many uh, hits on our uh, YouTube or whatever that is. Uh, I know what it is. Or, you know, the kinds of things we can have. It's about people, about people's lives being changed. That's really what it's about. So he gets to the end of this letter, and and he talks about these people. He talks about these people, and, and every one of these people had a story. Every one of these people had a story. And, I, and I, I'm thinking about you. I think every one of you have a story, too. I'd love to hear your story. Not right now. <laughs> but I love to sit and hear people's story like, tell me about your life. Where'd you come from? How did you end up here? What have you done? You know, how did you come to know the Lord Jesus? What, what, what is your story? Because it's powerful. Revelation tells us that it's powerful. The, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony defeat the enemy, right? So it's a powerful thing, too, but, but I just find it interesting. I just find it interesting to know about people. And, and I, you know, I, I'd like to hear more testimonies. I like to you know, give people opportunities to, to give their testimony, too, uh, you know, from time to time here in the, in the church. But let's look at some of these people here uh, briefly what, that, that Paul speaks about. And the first one he talks about who is, is Priscilla and Aquila, right? That's the first ones that he mentions here, Priscilla and Aquila, and they were a husband and wife team. The others he speaks about individually. We don't know if they were married. We don't know their story. But this particular couple, were they, they were spoken of, and their names were always together, Priscilla and Aquila. Sometimes her name came first, and in at least one other place, his name came first. 
I don't know that we can say one is more important than the other. It's just the way it is, right? Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife team. And it, I, think, I think it's a powerful example of a husband and wife serving together. It's powerful. Now, some of you are not married. That's okay, too. What did Paul say? Actually, you have more time, you have more availability, you have more, you can focus more on serving the Lord than when you are married, right? That's what he said, right? True? Am I making that up? But those that are married, you know, I'm thinking about this because, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but it's also, it's an opportunity it's a privilege, it's a challenge, there's a lot of things. It's hard enough to be married. That's what Paul was saying in that passage I just alluded to. It's hard enough because you've got to focus on your, your spouse and you've got to help, you've got to you know, put something into this marriage to make it work and that. So you don't have as much effort to expend serving the Lord, but, but there is something very special about a husband and wife that said, you know, let's serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. However that looks Whatever that looks like. It doesn't mean you do everything together. My wife and I, we serve the Lord, and she does different things than I do. We do some things together. But serving the Lord, this husband and wife. I think there's something powerful with that. I do. But let's look at their story. Let's look at back in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Again, I mentioned uh, those that that uh, are not married, and you say, well, if I was only married, then I could serve the Lord. No. But if you are married, you say, you don't know. You don't know about my marriage. How are we going to serve the Lord? Well, it begins how? It begins by prayer. God, you know us. You know who we are, you know our struggles, our fights, our whatever it is, but, but we just want to offer ourselves to you. And, and do, with, do with us as you would want us to do. Our wedding song was like that. Oh, Lord, our lives we dedicate to, to whatever you would want to do with us. And, and it's an ongoing prayer. We don't have recorded that they said that, but, but let's look at, at, at verse uh, 1. There in Acts chapter 18, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So this husband and wife team, and, and, and Paul, I don't know how he knew to go see them, but, but it says he went to see them. He'd heard about them somehow. Now this couple, they knew, they knew hardship, right? They knew persecution. He says he's a Jew, and, and the, all the Jews were ordered to leave Rome. He knew what persecution was like. This was persecution of the Jews. But he's also a believer. These people, these, this couple are believers. But they're also, interesting enough, they, they have a job too. They were tent makers. You say, well, you know, we can't serve the Lord because i got to work. 
Well, they worked, right? We can't say that. that. That's not an excuse that we can use. But they opened their home and they opened their work to Paul. It says he stayed and he worked with them. He stayed with them and he worked with them. They, they were open. They said, Paul, hey, stay with us, work with us. You need some work, work with us. They helped each other out. Whatever it was that they had, they offered, you see. You know, you might say, well, you know, I'd like to be, uh, I'd like to be a singing duo and go out and hit the road. But you can't sing. And then you leave it to someone like me to tell you that you can't sing. That's not easy. That's awkward. Just like you feel awkward right now, me saying it. But if you have something else you can offer, what is it that you have? You know, the boy with, with, the, with the fish and the loaves, what did he have? He offered what he had, you see. So what do you have? They had a home. They had a business. That's what they had. And they said, Paul, come on and jump in here with us, and, and we're going we're gonna to work together. We're going to do this thing together. What, what, what is it that you have that you can offer? Whether you're single or married, this is, applies to both, really. Let's jump ahead to Acts chapter uh, 18 and verse whoops, 18. Jump ahead to verse 18. What does it say? Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers, and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by who? Priscilla and Aquila. And before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken, and they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. So they were traveling with Paul. At some point in time, they, they were part of his team or whatever you might want to call it, and they were traveling with Paul, and they, they ended up in a place called Ephesus. Now, you know, it took me a long time to make some of these connections, connect the dots, right? But we've seen, what, the city of Corinth where Paul met them, right? And now they're in the city of, what, Ephesus, but we have right, letters that Paul wrote to the city of Corinth, two letters. We have a letter that Paul wrote to the city of Ephesus. So these, these things we read about, they all kind of tie together. They all, they all uh, you know, it, it's fascinating to, when you put these things all together and you see, oh, that's where, that's the city that Paul had written that letter of Ep to the Ephesians, right? That's just kind of uh, something I find fascinating. I think that as we... Again, become people of the book. It makes more sense to us. So they are left there. Paul moves on. He trusts them enough to leave them there in Ephesus. Jump down to verse 24. Meanwhile, back in Ephesus, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, he came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He was smart. This guy was smart. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he, only, he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. 
So this guy comes into town, and he, he's a definitely he's a believer, and he's a, he's a powerful speaker. Look what happens. Verse, the middle of uh, that verse, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, what did they do? They invited him to their home, number one. That's what we saw. They invited Paul into their home. They, they had an open home, open home policy. They invited him to their home. And uh, while I'm on that subject, you know, we, we talked in our uh, leadership meeting about the fact that, yeah, we need to be inviting people into our homes. Why? Because that's where we get to know people, right? That's where they come in and see, like, where you live. So my schedule's pretty free. Now, I was joking about this. I, actually, I get very few invitations. And uh, I think it's because people are nervous around me. I'm nervous around me, so I understand that. <laughs> but Ap- Apollos was invited to their home. But look what it says. It says that they explained to him the way of God more adequately. So he, though he was very, very smart, though he knew a lot, they, this couple, had a powerful impact because they just kind of gave him a little bit more information to like, to like, you know, round out the message, to clarify maybe some certain points that he didn't have, you see. What can, what can you give? How can you help someone out? He helped, they helped Apollos, who then went... Look at verse 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him, welcome him. And on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews. You see, they helped him. They didn't, it, it, we never hear about them holding these, you know, rallies and they're up speaking on the podium and they're, you know, speaking powerfully. We don't hear that about them, but behind the scenes, right, they helped this guy Apollos who then went out and did incredible things. See, doing what you can do, doing what I can do to help somebody, we don't know how that's going to turn out. What is going to happen to them? How are they going to be used? We don't know. Priscilla and Aquila. Let's turn ahead to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. And verse 3. These are right in a row, all of these. Verse 3, Romans 16. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I... But all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Wow. It says they risked their lives. They were serious about serving the Lord. It might cost something. But look at this. He says that, that we're grateful to them for what they did. But then they also, they had a church that met in their house. You know, back then, they didn't have church buildings like this. Did you know that? They didn't have churches on every corner like we see. That wasn't possible. Churches met in people's homes. 
And that's the way it was. And, and, and there's something special about meeting in a, in, a, in a home and having fellowship around the Word and, and, and uh, these home fellowships. And we have one, I, and we've had, you know, in, in times past, we've had, you know, multiple home fellowships. And I, and I talked to, you know, our guys about this. We need to be having some more home groups. There's something special. And if persecution ever comes, it's going to get back to that anyways, Right? Where we're going to have to meet in, in homes. You say, well, that's never going to happen in America. Newsflash. The church that met in their home. 1 Corinthians 16 says the same thing. Let's turn back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Priscilla and Aquila. Greet them. Important people. He doesn't say much more about them, but you know God knows everything about them, and God knows everything about you. The next one he, he mentions there is Oniso. Oh, I really knew, I used to know how to say this, but now that I want to, I can't. Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, that's it. You know, why would you give your kid a name like that? I just don't know. People can't even say his name. Anyways, it, he speaks about the household here, and there's something, again, we've looked at a couple, and now he's talking about a household, this house. There's something about a household. What goes on in your house? What's your household like? What's the focus? The only passage that we have about him is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Turn back to that. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This guy, this guy was persistent, right? It says he, he searched hard for me until he found me. He had a goal. He, he was persistent. He was going to carry it out. He was going to do what God called him to do. He wasn't going to let the fact that Paul was in chains stop him, though it stopped other people. But he was there to refresh him, no matter what. What is it that you have to give? He searched hard. He was persistent. You know, I think there's something about persistence for you and I. You say, well, you know, maybe God wants me to do this, and you try it once, and it doesn't, like... You know, it doesn't happen the way you thought it would, so you just quit. You give up. You stop. Well, that's not, that's not how you make progress. You do a little bit of time. You take one step at a time. You keep going. One step, another step, another step. These people, Paul was very, very thankful for. Again, he's, he's saying, greet this guy. You know, this guy, he refreshed me. He helped me. Incredible. How about the next guy there found in verse 20, a guy named Erastus? We don't know much about him except maybe he was a, 
the city director, speaking of in Romans 16, of the public works in the city of Corinth. Most likely he was that guy. In Acts 19, it talks about him being sent with Timothy to Macedonia, another area. Very different people though, right? We see, we see this couple, this husband and wife team. We see this household and this guy here. And now we see this guy, Erastus. He stayed in Corinth. What did he do? What was his mission? What, what was his ministry? We don't know, really. We don't know a lot about him. How about the next guy? He says, Trophimus. I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. He was part of the team, too. He was a Gentile, though. We know that because he talks about him in another place. He was with Paul at a different time in the city of Jerusalem. But they knew he was not Jewish, right? And so some of the people who were wanting to persecute Paul said, well, listen, they accused Paul of taking this guy Trophimus into the temple area where only Jews were allowed to go, into a certain area of the temple where only Jews were allowed to go. Paul didn't do that, but they accused him of that. But what I find is interesting here and in, 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 is that Paul left him sick in this place called Miletus. But I thought Paul was an apostle, and I thought Paul could heal people. Did he heal people? God used him to heal people. In, in many instances, Paul, you know, God used him to do incredible things. But here in this particular case, he wasn't able to heal him. What's up with that? Why didn't he heal him here? Well, I guess my understanding is that it wasn't God's will for him to be healed. Did he, did he pray for him? He probably did pray for him. I would think he would. Well, I'm not going to pray for you, bud. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that he prayed for him, but God just did not heal him. I mean, Paul knew what that was like, right? He prayed. It says uh, that he prayed in 2 Corinthians you know, he had some kind of problem, probably an eye problem. He prayed, well, how many times? Three times it says, I prayed. And what did the Lord say? What did he say before that? No. Right, he said no. God, you know, it says, I begged the Lord, take this thing from me, heal me. And God said no. Three times, finally, he said, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what you've got to hold on to. Not the fact that you're perfectly healed. Now, having said all that, does that mean we don't pray for people because it, they might not get healed? No, we need to pray for people. But ultimately, it's God's decision whether He heals them or He doesn't heal them. In the ESV Study Bible, it says, Christians today should pray earnestly for physical healing. But God is still sovereign in whether He grants healing in each specific case. We need to pray for healing. We have people up in the front here to, to pray for you afterwards. Maybe you have a physical need you need some prayer for. I've come and asked people to pray for me. 
And I believe God still does heal. But according to His sovereign will, not mine, not ours, what, what we've seen, what I've seen through the years, you know, is this condemning people if they're not healed, too. I see no instance of this in this particular case where Paul is condemning him for a lack of faith. Well, you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. I don't see that here, do you? No, he just states it. I left him there. He was sick. Trophimus. Oh, you mean a servant of God can get sick? A servant of God can, you know, get sick and die? Does that happen? Yeah, it does. We're all going to get sick and die. We're all going to die at some point, some sooner than others. How about the next little group there? Actually, verse 21, first he says, do your best to get here before winter. Who is, who is he talking to there? Timothy. He's talking to Timothy. He says, get here before winter. Why before winter? Difficult to travel back then during the winter. It's hard enough to travel here during the winter now, and we have all the modern conveniences. But back then, it was like next to impossible to travel. But it was even more than that, and we've already talked about this, that, that Paul loved this young man. He was his, like a son in the faith. He says, I want you to be here. I, I need you here with me. He was coming again to the end of his life. And, and what did he want? He wanted Timothy, please come and be with me. You know, y'all, y'all know we talked about Kathy uh, recently and, and, and she came to the end of her days and, and somehow she knew. It didn't look like it was that imminent. But she knew, and she says, I want to see so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. She had a list of people she wanted to see, and every one of them got there. One of her, one of the ones that she wanted to see got there the day she died, just hours before, and she was able to speak and communicate. What's important? It's the people. We're so busy, though, with our stuff, isn't, aren't we? We're busy with stuff. And we miss the people around us. Well, i got to do this. i got to finish this. And, and you know, your, your spouse or your kid or your co-worker or somebody's like, trying to get your attention. You go, i got to do this. I, this happens all the time, I know. It's like you have to, like, whoa, bang. i got to pay attention here. i got to listen. I can't miss what's right in front of me. Verse, uh, middle of the verse, he talks about eubulus. That's another name I would not want to be given. Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. These names recorded here, this is the only time we see them. What do you know about these people? That's all you know, right? It's interesting. Their names are found in the Bible. We see your names in the Bible, Eubulus, but it doesn't tell you anything. You know nothing about them. So the question is, do we have to be famous to be important? Do we have to know all about you to be important? We know about certain people. We know about Billy Graham. 
people like that, we know about their lives and stuff, does, does that make him more important than you? Not in God's sight. Not by any stretch of the imagination. What, what's your name? You, well, we already know that your name is not going to be found written in the Bible, right? I can pretty much guarantee you that because it's done, right? It's here. It's finished. This book is done. We're not going to add that. But there's another book, right? Called the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name in there? That's what's important. You all heard of the Tomb of the Unknowns? It's incredible. I, I, I found this picture on one of the panels, on the western panel. It says these words. I hope you can read it. It says, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Known but to God. You say, what could I do? No one knows me. No one knows any, you know, I'm not going to be famous. There's not a single person in this room is going to, you know, be written in the, you know, annals of church history. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. I'm 99.99% sure of that. But does that make us unimportant? No, you are important because what you have, the gifts you have, that I have, that we have to, we have to put them into practice and use them whatever way we can. Offer them up. Offer that relationship with your husband up. God is aware of it. Known but to God. God knows you. God knows your name. We already saw that in Isaiah. He knows you by name. This tomb of the unknown soldier, it's, it's, it's very interesting, though. It, you know, it's guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. No matter what the weather is, it's guarded there. And they change the guard, you know, every... 30 minutes during the summer, every hour during the winter, and then when the, when the uh, tomb is closed, the area is closed, they change it every two hours. And these guys actually volunteer to do this from what I, what I read here. But they're an elite group, and you don't just get in. You have to qualify. You have to you know, follow you know, the, all these exact ways of doing these things, of guarding this tomb. Interesting, it's been guarded. It's been guarded every minute of every day since 1937. But, what, but the analogy for me is that, that, that God cares about each one of us. He's looking over us as well, each minute of every day. Just like those, the tomb of, that, of the unknowns is. God knows his own people. He knows you, he knows me. He watches over us. The last verse here, 2 Timothy 4, he says, verse 22, The Lord be with your spirit. Remember I said the first thing was people, the second was the Lord Jesus, and the third is grace. The second one here, the Lord, he's talking about the Lord. He says, be with your spirit. And, and the word your is singular, so he's speaking specifically to Timothy in a personal way. The Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. Again, this idea that I started with, the Lord be with us, it's a very personal, it's a very real thing that Jesus would be with each one of us. Not the force, but the Lord Himself be with your spirit, right? And finally, how does He end? He says, grace be with you. That's plural there. The you there is plural. 
all of you grace. This favor of God, given things that we don't deserve. Warren, Warren Wearsby says, grace was the key word in his ministry. May it be the key word in our lives as well, grace. That favor of God that's unmerited. And we're given what we don't deserve. Paul says, grace be with you. That's a great way to end, isn't it? It's a great way to start. We're saved by grace. It's a great way to live. It's a great way to finish. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. I thank you for the grace of God that is just found in this room today. Each and every person is important. Each and every person is meaningful to you. I pray you give us eyes and ears to, to pay attention, to see, and to, to uh, get to know one another in, in, in even better ways, those that we don't know, and, and, and share our lives together and serve together to do what you would want us to do together. For that's what's going to matter in the end, the people. These people that are part of our lives today with each having a different story, each having a different testimony. And Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us, that you're never going to leave us or forsake us, and that you'd be with us personally. And we thank you for your grace again. I pray your grace upon each person. Maybe there's someone here this morning who never has surrendered to Jesus, and you don't know that you belong to him. You can Open your heart and life right here and right now and say, Jesus, please come into my life. I'm lost. I need you. I have no hope. I need you. I'm a sinner. I need you. I need your forgiveness. Jesus, hear the prayers, the cries of, of these people here today, no matter where they are, no matter what their situation is, Lord. And may your grace be upon each and every one of us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.